Hello and welcome to the Wheel of Time Watchers, brought to you by the Nerdosphere. I am one of your hosts, Clayton, joined as always by my fellow co-host, Jesse. Welcome back, Jesse. How's it going? Oh Yeah, good. Um, excited to be back for another episode. It's always fun subject to talk about so yes yes uh for those who don't know this is a weekly podcast from the nerdosphere where we discuss the wheel of time on amazon prime we review the episode and then discuss go into a deep dive discussion on uh, comparisons to the book series and where we think things are going based on our knowledge of the book series and what was changed and our opinions on all that um, so keep in mind that you will have spoilers for the episode, and then as we transition into stuff from the book, we'll let you know, uh, but there will be spoilers for people who haven't read the book, uh, when we do jump into that section of the podcast, but again, we will let you know before we get to that. Um, tonight we're going to be reviewing The Flame of Tarvalin. It is episode six of the series. This one is a whopping hour and two minutes and uh, there's a lot in this episode, so let's just jump right into it. Um, what what were your thoughts of this episode, if you want to get us started, Jesse? Uh, so again, I didn't dislike the the pacing of the episode in regards to... I have kind of realized I've liked the episodes where they focus more on the characters and less about jumping i guess terrain or scenery whatever you want to call it where it's all focused in one location which was what i think really i enjoyed about episode four the one that kind of like changed the tide for us on how we were perceiving the show a little bit Mm -hmm. um so i thought it was cool that that most of this one focused and stayed within tarvalin um i thought some of the character development was really cool getting to see a little bit more loyal um getting to finally see the uh, crew kind of come back together in mismatch ways and a little bit more development from the side of like why matt was feeling sick like all of that type of stuff like it all kind of you kind of capped off a lot of open-ended questions that we had had up to this point which i felt was pretty nice uh there were a couple of big stumbling blocks for me in regards to what I believe. Um, oh, or it kind of changes the way that I'm perceiving where they're going to go with the story, which has thrown up a little couple or a couple of red flags for me. But o- overall, I thought it was um, a pretty solid episode. I guess uh, there were uh, outside of some of the red flags that I was talking about. Nice. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, aside from episode four. I think that this is the strongest episode. We get a ton of um, politics in the White Tower. We get to meet Swan Sanche, the Amaryllin seat. Uh, she is played by Sophie Okaneto, and she does a great job. I know in our first episode, I, th- I think it was in our first episode, um, at least at some point, we had, or I specifically, I don't remember if you agreed or talked about it, but I was concerned based on her look and the casting that they wouldn't translate her book personality to the screen, but Mm -hmm. I was dead wrong. Uh, She does a great job in the role of Swan Sanche. Um, You know, we get her a little bit of her background uh, in the beginning of the episode to see where she comes from. And it's a stark contrast to what she is now as the Amarillin seat. Uh, arguably the most powerful person in this uh, world. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I thought there was a lot of great character development in all this. Uh, Everybody's back together finally. Um, And I do agree with pacing. I know we've brought it up kind of probably sounding like a broken record, but the pacing that the show has now, I think is now appropriate. Mm -hmm. We came the first three episodes we discussed you know, at nauseum, how the pacing was wrong. It was too fast. Uh, casual people don't seem to have as close a connection to the people as they come out of the first three episodes because everything's like wham, bam, wham, bam. Yeah. Uh, but the pacing now is really good. I think it's starting to find itself um, in the in its delivery. Yeah, it's uh, it. So I think it's a perfect example of what we kind of talked about a little bit earlier in some of our earlier episodes where the beginning opening scene between 
um, Swan and her father, I felt like was really impactful to break down Swan as a character. And it kind of eluded all of the concerns that I had coming into it as to, because I agreed with you. She, her character is so unique in the books that I was like, man, they really have to do her well for me to get behind her. And I felt like they set her up exactly how I was anticipating them doing it. And I think it just goes to show that a little flashback is maybe all you need for character development, where maybe we didn't need three full episodes of like how the characters got to Tarvalin outside of maybe episode four, that was pretty pivotal, pivotal for Nynaeve as a character mm-hmm. um, where I feel like flashbacks similar to what we saw with Swan could have accomplished a lot of what we had concerns about with the pacing in the first three episodes. Yeah. And with how well they introduced uh, Swan in this episode, it really makes you wonder what happened to those first three episodes. Mm -hmm. Like what, what were the discussions in the writer's room? And as they were filming these episodes, like, or even in the editing room, like what, what was happening to make it stumble so much? Because we, you're right. We get a, a great quick introduction to Swan. We get to know her immediately. And, you know, we just hit the ground running from there with no issues. So it just yeah. kind of, I think, throws an even bigger spotlight on those first couple episodes. Like, what what happened, guys? Yeah. <laughs> what happened? Yeah. Um, we do get to see that even though it was hinted at that uh, the Ireland seat would be a enemy of Moraine, that they're actually in league together searching for the dragon. Um, and really one of the only, without getting into the book stuff yet, one of the only issues I had with this episode was an interaction with them too. And it was towards the end of the episode when they are, uh, when she's, when Moraine's getting exiled, yes. um, the Amarillan seat has her swear on the oath rod that she won't return until she is told that she can come back by the Amarillan seat. Um, and the, the interaction there was a little awkward for me because they're trying to keep their alliance and their relationship a secret so that it doesn't undo their political position. Mm -hmm. And they both get really emotional there. And I find it hard to believe that one, it's strange that they didn't acknowledge other people in the room when this was happening. Like if this was an isolated incident between two characters, it would be probably emotionally impactful. But all I could think about was you're in a room full of, you know, what is it? 20 something sitters and they're watching the Amarillo seat tear up. And then Moraine adds in uh, a few affectionate titles to Swan as she is swearing Uh, the oath, which kind of reveals a more personal relationship. And that to me kind of screamed as bad writing. Yeah. It's funny. I had the same, I almost felt like in that moment, they're essentially undoing the 20 years, supposedly 20 years. If you're you're basing it off the books um, that they've been in league together, kind of setting all of this up uh, where it's almost like they undid it in the blink of an eye. If you're, yeah, if with the way it's, I think it was because it was talked about things that the average person wouldn't have known, which screams a more intimate relationship than that of the Merlin seat with one of her daughters. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah I, I don't I, think, especially with the portrayal of Swan to everyone else, like that yeah. version of Swan, I don't think that she would get upset over exiling someone who she feels betrayed her. Yes. So the just the fact, like I could see Moraine tearing up being an issue. I'm being banished from Tarvalin. Yeah. Okay, we can throw that out there. But Swan getting emotional and tearing up, I think, would throw red flags up to the sitters. Yeah. Yeah. And I, what's interesting is I liked the the subtle like finger touch that they had under the rod. Like I felt like that right. portrayed exactly what you needed it to. Exactly. So it's almost felt weird to stretch it the extra mile and throw in this like backstory that theoretically only one of Swan's good friends would know type thing mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. kind of seemed a little bit forced, but something to note that I did think was interesting is I don't know if you realize this or if it's even anything to note. Did you notice that Moraine didn't speak the exact words that Swan said to her so swan says until the Amerlin seat allows you to come back um and uh moraine said until 
uh, Swan Sanche allows me to come back. I didn't catch that. That's a good yeah. catch. So I don't know if they're going to play mm. on that at all. Um, that's and again, suck maybe for Moraine later. <laughs> that's what I'm thinking. That's what I. That's what I thought. I was like, I wonder if they're doing that on purpose for some reason further down the road. Yeah, um, they're going to cause drama later on, maybe. So, and it could be wrong. It could have honestly just we called into question the writing of that scene. So maybe it was just in fact bad writing, and they didn't realize. It seems weird when they talk about Aes Sedai needing to mean what they say or watch their words carefully that then we would allow for verbiage to change. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I did think it was interesting that she didn't say it completely. So yeah, I was like, I don't good, know. That's a really good catch. So um, one of the other big things, probably the other major thing from this episode is Moraine is able to find uh, Rand and Matt yeah. And um, she cleanses Matt of the dagger. We are uh, relieved very quickly of the notion that he could be channeling or going mad from channeling because uh, she knows immediately that it's the dagger. And I thought the CGI in this scene was actually really good. I know early on some of the uh, use of the one power and the weaves kind of looked cheap, but the weaves were really intricate in this. And yeah. I feel like as the episodes go on, we're getting more and more intricate weaves. And maybe that's on purpose. In the first episode, we just see broad strokes of light. And now we're starting to see things sort of weave as they're more described in the book because everything's mm-hmm. a weave. You know, yeah. you weave the different powers together to make different things happen. Um, but having it have this scene drawing out the, uh, taint of the dagger from Matt was very cool for me. What what did you think about it? Yeah, no, I was, that was what I was going to hit on next is I felt like that scene in particular was really cool because it, it did exactly what you wanted that scene to portray without having to implement all of the like the 12 sisters or whoever it is that ends up helping matt in the books right um i felt like they did it in a very clean way that made sense to the audience to like show that there are some Aes Sedai that are powerful enough to heal this and it kind of gave you that backstory you were missing of moraine really trying to hit home not to touch anything within shadar logith right that you missed in the first couple episodes because she was unconscious for that part so i felt like it was it kind of was a little bit of a breadcrumb back to like her understanding the corruption that was there in the first place going back to why she didn't want them to to be there um and i thought something else that was really cool within that scene itself that i think this is why this scene in particular was probably my favorite of the episode is you start to see the development of the interaction between Lan and Rand. And you also start seeing the banter between Moraine and Rand that you also get in the books as well, that I feel like is very important where Rand has kind of all along not been afraid to stand up to Moraine. And he's about the only one of the group that isn't afraid. Um, And you start seeing that a little bit, even when he like calls her out on the balcony is like, you could have just said you're welcome. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Their, their interaction, especially I agree is probably my favorite. I really like um, that seeing that relationship develop because up until this point, uh, while I think they're getting Moraine correct, as far as personality goes, I don't feel the connection to the uh, Emmons fielders that we get in the book and we start to get that in this episode. We start to see that, yes, she yeah. does actually do care because we actually brought it into question, I think, in our last podcast. She doesn't seem to care. Like, she's got mm-hmm. Nynaeve. They go to Tarvalin, and that's like, yeah. do you care? And I think this episode shows that she does, um, except there was the weird little... Um, she doesn't tell Egwene right away that everybody is in Tarvalin. So she's still... In Aes Sedai, she still yeah. keeps things close to her chest when she needs to. So, yeah, agreed. And it's, uh, but again, those are the like the little interactions that make me excited about the show. Where that's exactly what you want to see in an Aes Sedai. Like that's they they harp on that a lot from the books, where they all have their own agendas and all of this type of stuff. And you even get that at times with Moraine um, in mm-hmm. the books, where you might not really know why or. Or I guess, yeah, you don't really know why she's doing something, but it ends up making sense in the end. And it's those, those are the fun little interactions to me. I think that's why that scene was so cool. Yeah. Um, so another, I guess we'll go over, I, 
two more things that I for sure want to bring up and then we'll, we can, if I forgot anything that you want to bring up about the episode, we can go there. Uh, we have the interaction between Moraine and Swan, which brings their plan to light, how she is searching for the dragon. Uh, they talk about how Moraine thinks she's found uh, them that we've now settled on. All five of them could be, even though Nynaeve is not the right age. Moraine says that her power can't be discounted because she's the most powerful channeler they've found in a thousand years. Mm-hmm. Um, and we even have some foreshadowing hints that she's heard stories about how there's a multi-headed dragon in some interpretations of the prophecy. Uh, yeah. So they're definitely still pushing this mystery of who is going to be the dragon reborn and really even though uh they cleanse matt uh she blatantly tells rand just because this wasn't channeling sickness doesn't mean that he's not the dragon yeah so we still even though we we as an audience knew he was going mad because of the dagger they thought he was going mad because he could channel and then they immediately tell us no, there's still a possibility that it's Matt, even though we kind of knew that it was the dagger doing it. So, what are, you got any thoughts on that as far as the just the show goes? No, because I, I will dive into this a little bit later. I don't think there's a way for me to speak about it without giving anything away. Um, yeah. So I because I the more I thought on this after you and I had been messaging the night that uh, I had watched this, which I think was the night after you had. Um, the frustrations were there when I had heard all of this, where it started throwing into question um, just how big off or like how off, I guess, story or pace you could go by allowing this to break down the way that we had discussed mm-hmm. that really started feeling, filling me with anxiety. But the more I thought on it, the more I think I'm okay with them saying it based upon what we know and i'll explain why when we get to the spoiler part because like i said i don't want to dive too deep into it without giving anything away so yeah makes sense um and then the final thing final big thing to happen that we haven't talked about yet is they uh recruit loyal to help escape in the ways um we get swan um, telling Moraine that she's having dreams about the eye of the world and how it's important. Um, and Moraine needs to take whoever the dragon is. So she's got to take all five, uh, to the eye of the world because there is imminent danger and we get the ways opened up and they walk in. We get to see a peak in the ways, which I think are going to look really, really cool. If, uh, that little tease we got, just the entrance is anything to go off of and matt doesn't go with them he stays behind holy crap (laughs) yeah um which i don't think this is going to spoil anything so i'll ask this i'm wondering if it would be weird to not see matt again but i'm still trying to like figure out where the the perfect seamless character swap is going to happen where I'm like, well, maybe they just left him out here and then he'll show up whenever later. And it'll right, be like somebody we don't different. see him for the next couple episodes. And when we yeah. see him again in season two, he's the new actor. Yeah. I mean, it, that seems really weird for Matt as a character to not be in the final two episodes, but um, it also means that it's assuming we are actually getting men at this point that we're probably going to get her in Shinar. Yeah, uh, which is going to be interesting. Again, don't have a problem with that uh, based upon them skipping over Barillon where you meet her in the first place anyways. Um, so I don't really have an issue with that, I guess, as long as she's still introduced kind of in a, in a good way. Um, yeah, but it'll be interesting to see what they do with Matt uh, because yeah. I thought that was really interesting. I, I will say I like, I think those are the fun interactions in the show with me where like I know it happens because of the books, but that was a surprising turn. Like when I we looked back and we didn't see Matt with the group, I was like, oh, I that wasn't even in my thought right, process yeah. that he could be there. Um, so if they do it for a reason that makes sense, I think that will be pretty cool. Um, but again, it's those type of things that start to bring into question. So if he's not there and depending on the pace that they go with, um, where does that mean the, the season's going to end us? Because... Right. 
uh, it's pretty impactful for him to be around in the last handful of chapters of the, the eye of the world, which again, harping back to what you said, it's crazy that this was the first time that we'd heard the eye of the world. Yeah. Like we had heard it until the last like two episode, minutes or three minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Episode six, the last third of the episode yeah. of eight episodes. And we finally get mention of the eye of the world. Yeah. Um, so is there anything else just episode wise that you want to discuss? Or are you ready to jump into yeah, I don't spoiler think so. territory for our book talk? I don't think so. Other than I was again, very happy with the way that the Aes Sedai have been uh, portrayed um, in this so far, uh, where even the interactions in the hall all seemed very like ritualistic of even when they're seeing uh Moraine walk out, they all essentially get up and turn away from her, like turn their back. Like that seems something very Aes Sedai-esque that would happen. Yeah. Um, so it's fun to see it, even though it's not the exact interpretation that we're used to, it is still fun to see it done in an interpretation that makes sense. Definitely. Definitely. So Cool. All right. Well, uh, we're going to jump into the nitty gritty of the podcast, which is two wheel of time nerds discussing the show. Uh, spoilers for the book going forward uh so if you have not read the books uh you may want to dip out if you don't plan on reading the books and you just want to hear how it's different and hear our discussion um stick with us if you have read the books stick with us um but yeah let's just jump right into it man what's do we want to talk about the dragon stuff first or where do you want to start <laughs> i think we probably should because that's kind of like the big elephant in the room right where I think the reason after having thought of it a little bit more because of how much they've emphasized wanting to make it remain a mystery, I feel like at this point, as we've started, quote unquote, weeding out um, who could be the Dragon Reborn based upon what's happened within the shows where they've hinted multiple times about Nynaeve being too old. We've started seeing Perrin come into his power. We've started seeing Matt kind of that that like intrigue behind him being sick was taken away. So I feel like by introducing this wordplay of the five headed dragon, it's allowing them to maintain a little bit of a grasp on the mystery of who the dragon reborn is um, within their own world where I don't know. I pray to God, they're not going to go that route, but I, the more I've thought of it, it's like, it's to me, it's starting to shape its direction of being Rand or Egwene within the, the cinematic universe here. Mm-hmm. And I feel like by adding that twist, well, we don't know how the power could manifest. And we've heard rumors of or prophecies of whatever of a five headed dragon. It's their way of kind of like attaching some barbs into people being like, you guys think you may know what's going on, but there's always this too. And I'm hoping they're doing that just to keep the intrigue for the viewers who don't know compared to actually choosing to go that route where there's even part of me, if they chose to go that route, if they still introduce the characters into their main roles, like where Egwene eventually ends up and Nynaeve and Perrin and all of them, um, I could see why they would do that, but I would be extremely frustrated if they did. Because again, it it all harkens back to the idea that I feel like it's taking away from the power of these characters as to who they are in the books anyways, where they're they're all without their roles in the books, Rand can't succeed. They don't Mm -hmm. need them to be part of Rand as like, it's almost like taking away from Rand's persona then where like, what does Rand really bring to the table that none of the others do if he's sharing the role of the dragon reborn with everyone else. That's a, that's actually a really great point. Cause not, cause we've been talking about how this mystery and now, especially if they try to divide this prophecy into a five headed dragon, it kind of, it does kind of take away from the meaning of the, the other characters on their own. Cause they do yeah. stand on their own, but it, it's almost, you're right, it's almost even a worse impact on Rand himself because what he is is the Dragon Reborn. Yeah. So if you cut that into fifths, what does Rand actually bring to the table? Exactly. Nothing. Yeah. yeah. Nothing, yeah, honestly. Yeah, because you're essentially robbing Rand of his role in the books and giving it, doling it out to everyone else. 
in theoretically being able to keep everyone else's role the same. And right. it feels like you're cheapening Rand's character when, again, it's the frustration we've talked about where the characters do so well standing on their own within the books where, yes, the the Dragon Reborn is the one that the prophecies are written about, but Robert Jordan does such a good job at making all of the other characters an integral part of his development that you feel like they're just as big of a catalyst for getting to the last battle, prepping the scenario and the world for what's to come based upon the roles that they take on. And I, I just feel like you're going to miss that if you go this different route. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And what worries me is this kind of goes along with all of these meaningless changes. And by that, I mean, we have a lot of changes in the show that aren't needed. So I've talked about this, I think, in every episode. There's a difference between adapting a long, meaty property for a shorter form medium. Uh, There's a difference between streamlining and shortening or even removing and then completely changing and adding for no reason because we're now even more so spending more time on dialogue and other things that just have no meaning to the greater story if you're familiar with the books when you could have devoted that same amount of time to things that were in the books. Yeah. So, and this is one of those things. Moraine is telling Suan, every town I went to had a different story. No, that's not one of the big things in the books is the prophecy of the dragon is the prophecy of the dragon. There's a reason everybody knows the prophecy of the dragon and why Rand starts fulfilling all of these things. It's not he said, she said different twists across the world. It is, this is the prophecy of the dragon. The only time we see a difference in the prophecy of the dragon is when the Sean Chan come over and their only difference is that he kneels to the crystal throne and, um, is, you know, answers to the Empress. And then we of course have, uh, you know, the dark, uh, dark friends have their own, Shadow Swan have their own prophecies. Mm-hmm. But the main prophecy of the dragon is the same everywhere. So that bothers me that they felt like they need to put that in there. And they put that in there so that she could say, one of the stories I heard was a multi-headed dragon. And the only reason that that's in there, if it's not foreshadowing, is to continue this mystery of who is the dragon. And I just think, one, you don't need that to continue the mystery. And two, yes. it's very concerning if that's the direction they want to go for reasons we've already discussed. So it really kind of, while this episode was great for the most part, there are just tiny little things that really, as a Wheel of Time, you know, hardcore fan, say, do you guys really want to adapt the story? Like, are you really trying to pay respect to the story? Or are you just wanting to take something that you liked and enjoyed and, you know, try to tell your own story using that property? Because sometimes, and actually for the most part, that's what we're getting. Like they've, I'm going to take these characters and I'm going to tell my own story. And Mm -hmm. it's not really an adaptation, which, you know, people are going to argue you can't get exactly what you got in the book. And I've said it a thousand times. I know that, but Mm -hmm. there, again, there's a difference between adapting something and trying to stay faithful and just taking names and places and throwing it up for your own purposes. Yeah, no, exactly. And it's, yeah, I guess that's the, where I ultimately stand is I don't like the open-ended not knowing where, like if I knew if there had been a leak somewhere online that they were going to do just one character as the dragon reborn and all of that type of stuff, then I would be okay with this kind of like misstep misleading thing that they're trying to do because I know that they're going to at least honor that. But because this could go either way, like I'm viewing this discussion of them talking about a five headed dragon as just them adding intrigue to something that they've wanted to um, while still hoping 
that they're going to remain faithful to the books. You've kind of viewed it in a different light where you're going the opposite route saying that this kind of solidified some of the changes that they've made up to this point that is now bringing into question, are they just going to go this whole other route where I think it's on a breaking point on a lot of levels for me with, if they go the five headed dragon route, I'm going to be very disappointed. And I'm just going to assume the rest of the story that we're going to get may have the overall arcing idea of like the dragon fighting the, the dark one at the end of all of it, but I'm not going to anticipate the story remaining true to almost any extent after that, because I don't know how it could like, it's such a drastic change if they go that route right. that I think is going to bring into question how you could even keep the story even remotely close to what yeah. the book is, um, which is a real bummer. I think that's the thing that's like at times when I think about it too much, you almost get that like knot in your stomach about it where yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think what's even more frustrating about it is I don't know that you and I are going to have our answer after the first season. We are not. <laughs> yeah. I can almost guarantee we're not. So, so let me ask you this though, because in the, in the books, it's a very streamlined, they go through the ways, they end up in Shinar. Um, they make their way to the eye of the world, all that type of stuff. We see that unfold. Um, because of what we know with them talking about the casting of uh, Lord Agalmar and all of them that were pivotal in the breakdown of them getting to the eye of the world. Do you think we're going to skip Shinar this season and ended up there at the beginning of the second season? I'm starting to wonder that because, mm -hmm. but, but it's also really strange. I want to say that we are going to skip it because we just got the casting announcement. Yeah. But what's strange is we got the casting announcement for Elaine and some other Camelin people a yeah. long time ago, and we're not going to Camelin at all this season. So I'm very confused. <laughs> yeah. I'm very confused. I have yeah. no idea. I If I had to make a guess, I would say we're going straight to the eye of the world and we'll start the next season in Shinar. See, that's kind of the direction I'm thinking. I'm thinking a lot of this next episode is going to be handled within the ways. And uh, we're going to see a lot of that breakdown and maybe they're going to end up closer to uh, the eye of the world than they were anticipating. Because um, loyal even mentioned a couple of steps in here could be hundreds of miles in the real world where it's almost like they're allowing it to, maybe they don't know they're guessing at the distance instead of street, like I guess signposts or whatnot, where I could see them going that route. Um, and then in my head, I'm picturing the, they go to the eye of the world that all evolves into whatever it does. I don't know what they're going to do there based upon what has been shown so far, but I'm wondering if we will see them leaving the eye of the world and heading to Shinar. And maybe that's where we'll end is we'll see the opening, not the opening, but like them walking to Shinar or up to Shinar as the season ends. Yeah. 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 That's how I can kind of see it going to, it'll be interesting to see. I think one thing this show is still struggling to do too. And I didn't want to bring it up during our show talk because I knew it would spill out into spoilers, but we're still not getting like this depth of the evil they face because mm -hmm. we have no direct contact with Baalzaman. Uh, we have no real knowledge as a casual viewer of what the dark one is aside from a couple things like the uh, dark friend from the mining town said that he wants to break the wheel or destroy time or however she put yeah. it um in the book he wants to break the wheel and remake everything in his own image um but in this we we only kind of get it mentioned even a couple times there's no real like gravity or weight to yeah. what they're facing and i feel like they need to up that side and maybe we'll get that at the eye of the world because we only even get we've only gotten one mention of the forsaken so far, which yeah. is, well, we got Ishamael's name dropped by the dark friend in the yeah. mining town, but we didn't, she didn't say he's a forsaken or anything like that. Yeah. And then we get the, uh, I forget his name, but it's the warder that killed himself in the last uh, episode. Step in. Yeah, step in. Step yeah. In. He's doing a, like a ritual prayer to ward off 
the Forsaken, and we see tiny little wooden statues representing the different Forsaken. Yeah. And I think, does he say Ishmael, Father of Lies? So we can kind of, as yeah. a casual viewer, you can maybe put that together now. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, besides that, and then a couple of the dreams, which we feel like are really dropping the ball when you compare to how in-depth the dreams are. I mean, we're talking deep conversations with Baal Zaman between the three yeah. boys, and we're not getting any of that in the show. I mean, how do you, how do you feel about that? Do you think that they're so, dropping the ball on that? I do, and I think what's so weird to me, and I, again, I don't... I want to see how the season plays out before because I do know that I was too harsh on the show to begin with. I think the thing that's so frustrating to me about all of this is that they're playing on the mystery of who the dragon reborn is for no reason. In my opinion, like if somebody had told me that Rand was the dragon reborn before I read eye of the world, I don't think I would have cared knowing that because like it doesn't change i mean you find out what it's one thirteenth of the series is Mm -hmm. done like it seems so weird because even as a reader of the books you start to piece it together pretty quickly like very quickly that it's not Nynaeve or Egwene yeah well I mean you know very early on because they they talk she talks about it from the standpoint of it being one of the three boys yeah um, and the whole and then, book almost yeah. is from Rand's point of view. So exactly. So it feels weird to shape a story around the mystery of who the dragon reborn is when I feel like they would have done a better job at showing you who the dragon reborn is and then playing on the evil that he's facing because it's, you kind of have all of these like big catalyst moments that are happening within the world, even where, um, the towers appearing weak, as Loghain says, all of that heavy stuff. It's a big, big event. Like it, it, another false dragon showing up is a big thing. Um, all of that. And it's almost belittled by this mystery of who the dragon reborn is when you don't need it. And you're missing out on some of the more impactful stuff, which is the interactions between the boys in the dream and really starting to get a feel for why the dark one is as evil as he is. Because I mean, sure. Like we've gotten mention of it's, but it's almost like passing like, Oh, by the way, there's this guy trying to corrupt the entire world. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. It's just, yeah. Quick mention. And also, you know, aside from the dreams and then kind of world building that we get in the books, Along the way, especially when they're separated, they keep running into fades, dark friends, people trying to get them. Like, it is Mm -hmm. constant. You constantly are, uh, they are constantly in conflict with forces of the Dark One. Yeah. And that's not been the case in the show. So, it's just kind of been like this character drama between them. Yeah. Yeah. And it's weird. And so what correct me if I'm wrong, had Lanfear showed up at this point in the books? No, she shows up. I believe it's the great hunt. Okay. That's what I thought because they, and it's after the portal stone incident Mm -hmm. because Rand and uh, the tracker home, something, it starts with an H I think. Yeah. Uh, get stuck in that other world and they find her and we find out that that's Lanfear later on. Yeah. Okay. That's what I couldn't remember is I was like, man, I feel like she hadn't shown up yet, which is even why it, in my opinion, it's more important to hit on a Shamael right now because he was such a big part of the first, of the first book. Like yeah. the whole reason all of this was happening was like the dreams, like all that, like almost trying to lure um rand to this moment and it yeah it feels a little bit frustrating but yeah let's see um so let me look at my notes here uh one thing i wanted to bring up since we're um the method that moraine and swan meet up in the Amazon Explore tab on Prime Video for The Wheel of Time, if you go down and look at uh, 
mythology mm-hmm. no artifacts i'm sorry uh and if you haven't been on if you're just watching the show and not like checking out their website they've got a ton of cool lore and supplemental content on here to help you kind of understand the world and dive deeper into the world and did you um, say this is on amazon prime's actual thing yeah if, well if you go to amazon prime video and then go to like the wheel of time page where you would like look at episodes yeah under the explore tab uh towards the bottom there's a section that has artifacts creatures organizations landmarks and mythology it's just one of okay. the extra lore uh sections oh yeah, yeah and they add stuff each week well, each week that stuff needs to be added. And this week they've added um, Moraine's little frame thing that's in her room that she channels into. And then they end up, uh, she ends up with Swan at the fishing hut. Yeah. Um, and this is labeled as a Terran Griel. Um, and it says others can be used so it describes Terran Grial it says the you know the Othrod is a Terran Grial and then it says others can be or can act as doorways between places or seem to have no function at all so they're starting to let us know what Terran Grial are so my question to you is do we think that they went into Telaran Riyadh using this Terran Grial or do we think that this was just some sort of traveling aid some sort of b-side traveling um, I hope that it is Teleon Riyadh instead of a form of travel, because I feel like that takes away from the impact of travel being discovered later. Yeah. Um, where that to me was always one of my favorite things where Rand knew it for so much longer than everyone else and was just kind of like gloating about it in his <laughs> like egotistical way where he would just use it in front of them, knowing that they couldn't do anything about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, but I don't know. I am led to believe that it is not the dream world, unfortunately, then it is probably just a Turangrial that it could honestly be setting up for the Turangrial that she falls into um, when fighting land fear, uh, where it's like setting up the idea that these things do exist. And maybe they're going to play on that where because we've seen it done here, does that mean when fans see it happen, if that's the way that they go in the show, maybe fans will be like, well, maybe she isn't dead. Like maybe there is hope type thing where they want that air of mystery to still be there. Right. Because I know that we had this weird um, interaction in the book where when that happens, Lan is like, I can't feel her anymore. Um and he just assumes that she's died. Yeah, because uh, the bond is broken. His bond yeah. is passed automatically to the other chick. Yes. So he thinks she's dead. Yeah, that's why I, I I know when I read the book the first time, I wasn't convinced that that was the last we were going to see of Moraine. I wasn't sure how we were going to get her back, but I just wasn't exactly convinced, mainly because it was two, like, two major characters that were pulled out like back to back where I was like, man, that'd be very weird if this was like the climactic finish to Lanfear and to Moraine. Right. Yeah. Um, where I'm wondering if they were playing on that, but again, I, I don't know. I again, hope it is the dream world and that's what we're getting. But if they did that, that would also be kind of a weird way to introduce the dream world without, uh, talking about it. Yeah. Really? So I don't know. I I will say this, even though it hasn't proven to be anything, I have liked the nice little touch of Moraine's blue gym that she wears on her head being more prevalent in these episodes. Mm -hmm. Um, Because, I mean, I know Egwene channeled into it on episode four or whatever that was, I think, or maybe episode three. I don't remember. I guess it would have been episode three before they went to shed our Logoth. Yeah. where like I knew what that was when I saw it, but it was fun to see it shown again in the, in the hall. So yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm interested to see where we go from here, because again, there are so many things that I've liked about these last couple episodes. And then there are so many divergence or divergence from the book that have me a little bit concerned but if as long again, this is the first time I think since the first three episodes that there's been almost like a deal breaker for me, where if they go the route of the five headed dragon, this is getting close to a deal breaker because I just don't know how you salvage the story 
while introducing that aspect. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Um, a couple other notes that I just wrote down that are kind of differences from the book. Uh, we see Moraine swearing on the oath rod, which is kind of like a big no, no, like you Mm -hmm. swear the three oaths once on the oath rod and that's supposed to be it. Uh, we see later on in the series that when people, uh, people do dark friends used, uh, black sisters use the oath rod to control some of the sisters. And when it's found out, everybody's like, and actually, um, Egwene, I think has some people swear an extra oath. Um, and when it, when that comes out, it's like a big, big deal because you're only supposed to have, you know, swear on the three oaths and the oath and the, uh, that they use in the show is an actual oath from the book. And I wrote it down because in the book words and oaths and people's word like mean something when you swear on the light, um, in the way that they do in this show, which is the exact verbiage almost, uh, to some, uh, one of the strongest oaths in the book, it's believed that like, that's binding. Like if you break that, you are going to be forsaken from the light because words and oaths actually mean something. So I thought it was interesting that they felt like instead of just having, instead of even just exiling her, they not only, Mm -hmm had her swear on the oath rod, which is kind of a no-no to have an extra oath, but they also like threw in this super strong already on its own without an oath rod oath. Yeah. Um, but anyways, I just wanted to throw that out there. Um, they again mention uh, coming to the shawl and all this stuff as a f- as part of the progress from novice to accepted uh, to Aes Sedai. When you go from accepted to Aes Sedai, it's called taking the shawl none of the Aes Sedai wear shawls yeah I don't understand why they don't wear shawls and mm-hmm. why they keep mentioning shawls yeah if you want to design the costumes to not have shawls then they shouldn't use the verbiage coming to the shawl agreed it's strange yeah. um it's mentioned that blue in the show it's mentioned blues are known for their secrets um, in the book, they do have the largest network of eyes and ears, uh, but they are a the Aja who seeks justice. Their purpose is to find the right in the world to make sure justice is served. They're not uh, like some spy sneaky network like they're described yeah. in the show. Uh, so I, I took offense to that just a little bit. It's <laughs> like, come on, man, like you can't even mm-hmm. get that. But anyways, yeah. um, they all arrive to the way gate with fully packed horses and then they slap their butts and let them run away, which was what the, it, from a show standpoint, why? Yeah. Like you, why? But from a wheel of time fan standpoint, Moraine and Lan abandoned Aldeeb and Mandarb their horses who are their horses throughout the entire series. Yes. They are much like Bella, the horse who go, well, who Bella is not even a thing in the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Bella is Rand's horse who goes through the entire series. It somehow becomes, you know, intertwined with all these different characters. And even as in like the last battle, like this huge, character yeah. this horse it ends up being a huge side character aldeeb and mandarb are almost on that level mandarb is land's horse and as an extension of himself he is in the story from start to finish and they just slapped him and now they're off and running in the wilderness yep a little weird a little weird yeah that was a little bit odd especially when they made the entrance to the ways so big that it wouldn't have been a problem. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, why? 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 Yeah. Because in the book, the way's entrance is smaller and they mm-hmm. took the horses. In yeah, they the, took them down into a cellar at one yeah, point. into a cellar to get into the ways. And in the show, the ways are nothing like they are described. This is another thing that I have, and I know it's going to sound like I'm just nitpicky and all this, but when you have a author as descriptive as Robert Jordan, who has described what the waygates look like and for the show to deliver a waygate that looks like it does is 
mind-boggling. It's yeah. almost like, okay, concept artists, this is the idea behind the ways. It's a portal to another dimension where you can travel far. Make me a concept art. Instead of saying, here's the description in Eye of the World page, blah, blah, blah. Make me a concept or two of what this looks like. Like, this is just another instance where I feel like they are... I got to make my own stamp on this. I don't yeah. care what's written in the, or how it looks, you know, in the book. I'm going to just do this. Yeah, exactly. It's like, if you, if this had all been vague, then sure. Run with it how you want. Exactly. But it is very well established what this is. The Waygate is very well described in the book. Yeah. It is extensively described mm-hmm. and is nothing like this. And I think what's for those who don't know, if you're if you're with us and you haven't read the book and you're just wanting to hear us banter on (laughs) and complain about the differences, the Waygate is described as an actual door. It's a stone door that looks almost organic, covered in vines and leaves, and you open it by finding a trefoil leaf, which represents the leaf of the tree of life, and you pull it off, and the doors open to a a uh, shimmering mirror-like surface, and then you walk through, uh, not unlike how Neo walks through a mirror <laughs> in the Matrix, <laughs> yeah. and then you pop out into the ways. Um, so it is very strange that we get this tall, fork-like structure that's opened by the power. You know, it is what it is, yeah. but just a little... A little frustrating when we have so many things intricately described in the book that are being purposefully ignored. Because yeah. you can't say it's accidentally ignored because it is. they are self-proclaimed mega fans. They're all showing off their books and how they've underlined yeah. and highlighted stuff and talk about how we're huge fans. And so it is changed purposefully. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's weird. I think what is so bizarre about it is that we, um, it calls into question, how did a structure that big go unnoticed in the, the two rivers? Uh, And again, I guess I don't talk about it, but like, you know, that's how the Trollocs showed up is that they showed up via the ways, um, and because the two rivers folk are really open in that conversation too. We, We've heard about the ways in the stories, but we don't know what they are. They obviously have never seen this structure before, but they're, you know, the ways become kind of intricate, as you said. It's, we find out that's how Trollocs are getting around, and there has to be one of these large structures near the two rivers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, and we'll see. We'll see what they do with it. I, I can get past that, like, ultimately, yeah, sure. It seems and so like can I. So can yeah. I. It's just... It's, it's just one of those things where yeah. it's like you're you say you want to be faithful and honor this, you know, work, but then you don't. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. Now the inside of the ways, as I said previously, I think those are gonna. I think it's gonna look good. I agree. Yeah, I think it's gonna get exactly what I'm hoping for in the ways, and it's gonna be interesting if they introduce uh, Mashadar. And the way I bet you they will. I bet you they I will. I really hope so. Because you could hear a little bit of whispering, you felt like mm-hmm. when it was open that I, I really hope they introduce that because that's such like a cool entity that almost nobody knows how to deal with it. Like it's not good or evil, it's just there for corruption. Exactly. Yeah. And uh so I am excited. Um a character we haven't hit on yet. I was excited to finally see Liana. Liana Sharif, which I was excited to finally see her. I think, Um, I I mean, we don't get really anything of her except her standing there stoically, but that aspect of her being the keeper, I think was captured really well. Agreed. Yeah. It's a, yeah. Well, yeah, I just keep, I keep, I, I wish at the end of each episode, like secretly, I'm like, I wish I had a definitive, like, at least we know what direction they're going, right? Like, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> at least we know if they're going to kind of remain true. Yeah. But I feel like after each episode, I'm like, oh, no. This, well, it's, it's almost like you don't think they could wedge a gap further than what they have. And then they do yeah. something and you're like, oh, they opened that door a little bit more for them to really fuck <laughs> right, us this time. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's like me and you talked off cast. I 
I really, really enjoyed this episode. Yeah. Until those couple little dialogue mm-hmm. options popped up that make a longtime fan say, what are you going to yeah. do? <laughs> yeah. And I, I thought it was kind of cool. So we didn't really talk. I mean, you talked about this a little bit early on. Um, I was even okay with the way that they portrayed um, Swan and Moraine's friendship in this as being more than just friendships, like pillow friends and all that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. Like I was okay with that because I was like, that's you're kind of loosely led to believe that there was some of that going on back when they were friends in the tower anyways. And everyone thought that uh, there was something maybe a little bit more there between them romantically to some extent, um, but they never really planned it. But I was like, for the sake of getting that across, which we get that point across over a couple of books um, to like really hammer it home quickly. I thought that this was a very good way to do it where yeah. they, they needed to compress the, or impress the idea that uh, they are more than just coworkers, essentially that yes. they're, they're actually in cahoots together. And I felt like this was a very tasteful way to do it. Uh, like compacting that much into the, into the books. I am still a little bit sad. We have not seen Varen yet, but I don't know if we will see Varen until next season. Yeah, um, I am through with my re-read, uh, re-listen of Eye of the World. Varen's okay. not in it. Is um, she not? Yeah, so we won't get Varen until book two because she okay. is involved with the Portal Stone incident. Yes. Um, so I'm wondering if that's the because something else that I am, and I guess it kind of came about, well, you can answer this question. Was there talk of the Black Aja in the first book or no? No. There, okay. Well, there, I think Ashamael might have mentioned Black Aja, but as far as actual talk, no. Okay. Because I'm interested to see when they're going to, uh, when they're going to have that show a little bit, because like, obviously we've met a couple of characters that fall within that. Um, right. Where it'll be interesting to see where they drop that little like snippet of like, Hey, by the way, there's this corruption running deeper within the tower and even within the world, because you feel like it based upon what you know in the book with dark friends everywhere, you kind of have this like sneaking suspicion that theoretically dark friends are everywhere. So why not in the tower, but they never, talk about it really um so it's interest. it'll be interesting because of the lack of quote-unquote dark friends thus far um in the tv show it's going to be interesting to see how they introduce it because i agree with you it's been weird that after the trollocs in the first three episodes and then uh dana and i guess episode i think it was also episode three it would have been three probably yeah um that seems very like that those about the only that's mentioned it. we've seen like you feel like i guess pot on thane shows up in tarval and like he sits he's like sitting on a bench as the procession is going by um but other than that but even then you're led to believe he's a dark friend in the first couple episodes because he just kind of walks away when the trollocs are there right but you don't they don't actually tell you he is yeah um, yeah it'll be interesting to see how that continues to play because in the books at this point, he's like raving mad. He's already been to Sh- yeah. Shadar Logoth. He's been um, imbued with uh, Mordeth. And yeah. that combined with the already like distilling of his soul to become a literal hound to hunt the three boys has like driven him mad. And then he follows him through the ways and he gets touched by Machin Chin and he goes even, you know, further like condensing this new kind of evil character um i'm wondering how because he's obviously not going to be able to follow them in the ways here with the way Mm -hmm. the ways work and now that we don't really know where the dagger is she says that if matt moraine says if matt touches it again that he'll die basically or immediately Mm -hmm. be corrupted um so we don't know where the dagger is and matt stays behind so i'm wondering maybe there's a, that may be the reason that Matt stays behind. Maybe he, yeah. there's going to be some interaction with him and Pat on Fane since they had the original react interaction in episode yeah. one and that'll somehow develop. Yeah. I was wondering that too, or if we're going to get some like weird cryptic thing where Matt somehow ends up in the ways 
and gets out on the other side. And then you're left to believe like, well, the ways can only be activated by a Chandler. So how did he get in? And then we come to find out that another Aes Sedai let him in. Like I could see them going that route as well. It seems weird because if he doesn't catch up to them, then how would he get out of the ways? Um, But I'm also not convinced as much as I like to believe that he, um, stayed behind because it's an interesting while I don't like it based upon what the books have, it was an interesting twist within the show. I'm still not convinced we're not going to get some really weird thing where he like dives through the portal right before it closes because they were shouting Matt's name as if like scared for his safety where I'm like wondering if all of a sudden we're going to see him like sprint off and try to dive through. <laughs> right. Yeah. I could um, see that. Cause I don't, but... do we actually see it close or it's like, it's closing and then it's it closing, like cuts yeah. away. Yeah. You may be right. We may have just gotten like a fabricated cliffhanger there. Yeah. Because it was like one of those where you hear like one of the last uh, things you hear is Rand shouting Matt's name frantically almost where it's, it seemed like it was more than just, like Matt, why aren't you coming? It was like, oh my god, Matt! Like, <laughs> like kind yeah. of like that type of thing. Where is he going to be? Is he like panicking that Matt is jumping through or something? Could be. But well, we'll find out in a couple of days. So yeah, I know. It's uh, but yeah, I mean, I don't probably have much else to say uh, because I think we kind of hit the the big elephant in the room was the whole dragon thing, where that's going to be. Yeah, yeah. Be interesting to see how they progress with that. So, and one thing we. We didn't talk um, about, I don't think, because we were really deep in other stuff. But in episode three, uh, when Rand is trapped with Dana, she says that the door is like super thick mm-hmm. and then he still breaks it down. Like that was the one instance where we see, besides the fact that he's had the most dreams, mm-hmm. um, that was the one instance that kind of had something weird with rand yeah it's funny you mentioned that because i've just been i watched the uh episodes two three four and five i think with my girlfriend before i left on this last uh trip and uh i remember that being a thing i was like i can't believe we just kind of glossed over that because like that is like him essentially wielding the power because there's not another explanation right which yeah. again also feels very odd that they're showing that if they're going to introduce a five headed dragon where all of the other powers are starting to make sense. Like um, Perrin with his eyes is starting to evolve into something besides wielding the one power. Mm-hmm. Nynaeve is we've again harped on that. She's too old. Um, and then Matt gets over his sickness um, because of the dagger where you're like, okay, so the only unexplained instance of somebody using a power that is beyond them for real, no real reason is Rand smashing the door down. Yeah. Um, but I don't yeah. know. I'm excited to see where it goes. It's, it's, if anything, it's in keeping me intrigued enough to continue these conversations because, yeah. because it's, it's, it's fun. It's, 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 um nauseating as it can be at times when you're like <laughs> sitting there panicked that they're gonna ruin something that I hold so dear. It's still been a fun ride so far. Yeah. It's been it's been enjoyable. Yeah. I like, find myself looking forward to each week. Yeah. And like like we said, the it's found itself in the pacing. Um the quality in is sometimes not quite there when yeah. it comes to writing and cinematography, but Overall, I think it's finding itself, and I'm I too am looking forward to it each week. So, yeah, I think this was just... the first episode I didn't have any glaring issues with the um, film side of it. Like, uh, I agree, where I, agree. I felt like everything was done tastefully and all that type of stuff. Where, like I said, with Loyal's prosthetics in the other episode, there was always that like one big thing that I was kind of like left being like, and, eh, but even like loyal felt more well done to me, maybe because it wasn't as like honed in on his face. Right. Um, but yeah, no, this episode had me feeling pretty excited about the quality that we were getting. Yeah. Agreed. All right, man. Well, if that's it, I think I'll take us out. Yeah. That has been the Wheel of Time Watchers. Again, we're a product of the Nerdosphere. If you want to see our other Nerdosphere content, 
uh, go over to Nerdosphere.com where you can find all of our different podcasts, whether it be our flagship podcast, The Nerdosphere, where we discuss anything from the big screen to the small screen and everything in between, uh, or our Anime Ultra podcast, which is a anime-centric podcast where we discuss uh, all things anime and also be on the lookout for uh the more than mando show it'll be making its return here in the next couple weeks as we see book of boba uh come to disney plus and i'm sure it'll keep going as obi-wan releases and as star wars content starts to ramp up over there so again you can find all that at nerdosphere.com or just search for the nerdosphere on your favorite platform and our podcasts will pop up. If you enjoy what we do, scroll down and give us a rating. We really appreciate uh, ratings. Uh, it helps us get in front of new listeners. And if you want to talk to us directly about the Wheel of Time or anything else nerdy, you can find us on the socials. Just search for the Nerdosphere. Our most prolific uh, uh, group is, or community rather, is our Facebook group, uh, if, you, if you're on Facebook, just search in groups, The Nerdosphere. We've got a large Facebook group there uh, that shares memes and nerdy discussions and stuff. So, But until next week, remember that the wheel weaves as the wheel wills. And we'll see you in the next one. Bye-bye. Adios. Adios.